This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Global News has learned the Delta Police Board has just approved pay raises for its officers before their current collective agreement expires. It's a move meant to keep up with the wages of their counterparts in other jurisdictions. And the added cost to taxpayers is still unclear. Catherine Urquhart reports. As Delta police officers carry out their jobs, they're learning some unexpected news. They're all getting raises, making them some of the highest paid cops in the country. This, even though they're in the middle of a collective agreement. We need police, we need functioning civic services, but it shouldn't be a race to the top. And that's exactly what we're seeing in BC municipalities right now. An internal email from Delta Police Union President Sergeant Mark McKinnell tells officers, we respectfully ask the board to match the recent Vancouver Police Department pay raise that was ratified by VPD members. I'm happy to report that the board approved this request and as a result, DPA members will be receiving an approximate 6% pay raise on January 1st. With this raise, DPA members will once again be one of the highest paid in the country, with a first-class constable yearly salary being just under $122,000. It's now become so competitive amongst the even neighboring police departments that uh, they have to raise wages in order to make sure that they don't actually lose members to other competitive police forces. For the past two days, Global News has sought comment from Delta Mayor George Harvey, who is chair of the police board. He has not responded to questions such as, how will the raises impact taxes? Taxpayers are having a really hard time making ends meet right now, so we need to see municipal governments across the metro region and across the province looking for real savings. Solicitor General Mike Farnworth reacted to concerns about policing costs, saying the province does not have a role in municipal police HR practices or collective bargaining. When the province is so unaffordable, it's tempting for people to go to those other police departments just so that they can afford their lives. But it does destabilize the policing um, environment. Delta police officers are just the latest to receive raises. They surely won't be the last. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And Delta police say one person is in critical condition after a shooting Thursday afternoon. Police were called to the scene at 110th Street and 82nd Avenue about 5.45 p.m., the victim was rushed to hospital with life-threatening injuries. A short time later, a burning vehicle was found in Surrey. Police say the victim was targeted, and the shooting has all the hallmarks of the ongoing B.C. gang conflict. Anyone with information is asked to contact Delta Police or Crime Stoppers. And RCMP in Surrey say the person killed in an early morning crash was not a pedestrian as originally thought. Instead, it was a passenger from the vehicle involved. Police responded to the crash around 2.30 this morning in the 7300 block of 138th. 
They say one vehicle with three people inside crashed into two parked vehicles. One of the passengers was ejected from the vehicle and declared dead at the scene. The second passenger is still in the hospital and remains in critical condition. The driver was taken into custody and still remains in custody. 138th Street between 74th and 72A Avenue was closed for several hours. So far, there's no word on what caused the crash. Anyone with information is asked to contact RCMP. A group of tenants lost their homes in New Westminster this afternoon, forced out when the building was declared a danger. Five tenants and six unregistered occupants had to vacate the building at 325 Agnes Street. It has often been flagged for being in disrepair. The evacuation order came down this afternoon, though, from New West Fire and Rescue Service as the building has been deemed unsafe for tenants. The city says the building does not have a working fire alarm system or smoke detectors, and the electrical and gas systems don't meet safety standards. City officials have done everything they can to avoid this from happening, and all our attempts at getting uh, the landlord to cooperate have been unsuccessful. So it, it, it's unfortunate. It's never something that's done lightly. It's, um, yeah, we did everything we could to avoid this, and here we are. The city revoked the landlord's business license last year, and it's issued tens of thousands of dollars in fines. Both nonprofit organizations and government bodies are working with the tenants to help find alternative housing. Just one week after the Metro Vancouver board ended its impasse with the federal government over development charges, the prime minister was in Vancouver today committing more than $100 million in housing funding under the federal government's accelerator fund. But as Richard Zussman reports, critics are raising questions about how quickly those homes can actually be built. Each lift of the crane is a step closer to 188 rental homes becoming a reality in Vancouver and a little bit closer to new housing goals. We've reached a deal with the city of Vancouver that will see over 40,000 homes built. Money coming to the tune of $115 million from Ottawa's Housing Accelerator Fund. This comes just a week after Global News reported a month-long stalemate between Metro Vancouver Board and Ottawa ended. Originally, Metro Vancouver was told it couldn't get accelerator funding due to charging development cost charges. But it was solved when the board made it clear those charges would be reviewed every year. We have young families considering whether they can stay in British Columbia or not. That's something that is heavy on my mind. And what I hear overwhelmingly from all of them is they don't want fighting. The goal of the money is to break through on house pricing. Vancouver rents are now $2,860 per month on average, while the benchmark housing price for Metro Vancouver is around $1.2 million this year, compared to $841,000 back in 2015 when Trudeau was first sworn in as Prime Minister. It's actually completely unbearable in, in, in Vancouver. Uh, and we have a Prime Minister who back in 2017 started talking about his life-changing, life-changing he called it, transformational housing strategy. And while house prices are up, house building is down. The Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation releasing new data on Friday. It shows housing starts down 22% this month, and specifically in Vancouver, 
down 39%. We're seeing probably the beginning of inflation having uh, a bite on the multi-residential sector. Surrey and Burnaby are expected to be the next municipalities on the accelerator list, with money coming as soon as just past the new year. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The Trudeau government is feeling the pressure to fix the housing and affordability crisis, and the Liberals are facing some pressure to cut down on immigration to achieve that. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria now with more. And Keith, Justin Trudeau was asked about that exact thing today. How did he react? And you can be sure he's going to be asked that every time he appears with the government ministers at the provincial level because the premiers right across the country have been pressing the PM uh, to, uh, if you're going to have such high immigration levels, almost a half million people of new visitors a year, uh, last year, this year, and the next few years as well, you've got to start boosting your money to pay for the infrastructure, which includes building housing. So those are the numbers nationally. Here's how it breaks down in B.C. over the next three years. 217,500 new permanent residents are expected to come to this province. 43 thousand new housing units will be needed annually. That totals over a number of five years, 215,000 units. That's an enormous number. Today's funding by uh, the federal government, I think, is around 40,000 units over 10 years. So you can just see the difference there, why the premiers are so concerned. The prime minister was asked about that today. He seemed to indicate some sympathy for the argument that immigration has to sort of tie to infrastructure, infrastructure pressure and spending. Here's the PM is that immigration is a source of opportunity, of growth, of economic advantage for Canada. Uh, but it's also important to make sure that, as we always have, we're doing it responsibly and at a pace uh, that our cities, our municipalities, even our uh, rural regions can absorb. I think a lot of premiers would disagree with the prime minister on that last uh, comment that the pace is such that they can meet the demands for infrastructure. So this is a conversation the, P the PM is going to be having with the premiers going forward. It's not an issue that's going away because, as I say, all close to half a million new immigrants next year and the year after that and the year after that as well. And the opposition gets a lot of mileage out of it, too. Keith, thanks very mm -hmm. much. Another SIBA loan horror story tonight. A Vancouver business says it has to pay the entire pandemic loan back because of a simple clerical error no one seems to be able to fix. And as Kristen Robinson reports, the clock is ticking. Yep. Jason Gallup relies on time. Business was starting to get back to normal after the pandemic when the watchmaker says he received a letter from his bank at the 11th hour confirming he's ineligible for his 2020 SIBA loan. My gut reaction was probably horror. I couldn't understand that the situation hadn't been dealt with. Roldorf and Co. entered one wrong digit for its business number on the $40,000 loan. Gallup says once he learned of the honest mistake in 2021, he immediately took steps to correct it. SIBA saying the bank had to fix it. The bank saying they didn't have the process together to be able to fix it. Distracted by the Gastown fire last spring, Gallup was forced to relocate his business and the error was left unresolved. He says the SIBA helpline was no help. There's no remediation process whatsoever. Uh, they will not open up the file. While the feds set up a review process in 2021 and contacted small business owners deemed ineligible, it has since closed and the Canadian Federation of Independent Business says it's receiving an influx of calls from businesses only now learning they're ineligible. What we need government to do is to reopen the process to review these files. And it's deeply unfair to, uh, to rule out a business's ability to, to get the benefits of the program for making 
silly clerical errors. We contacted Gallup's bank, BMO, and Ottawa, which says businesses who either did not respond to 2021 requests or who remain ineligible must repay their SIBA loan in full by the end of the year. My message would be fix it. Quite simply, fix it. Without being fixed, what are you facing? A $40,000 bill on December 31st. With the clock ticking on his livelihood, time is not on Gallup's side. We will push through this, but what would make it easier is for the government to do the right thing here. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A downtown Eastside institution is finally back in business after a devastating fire. The Ovaltine Cafe was nearly destroyed by a suspected arson. But as Travis Prasad reports, thanks to a very determined owner and help from the community, the customers are coming back. You could call it a Christmas gift to a community that has seen better days. We stand up again. We feel really good. The Ovaltine Cafe is back open for business. The modest diner near Main and Hastings first opened 81 years ago, quickly becoming the go-to spot for a hearty yet low-cost meal on the downtown east side. There's something here that everyone can pretty well afford, so I think that's part of the attraction for the, you know, the, the neighborhood. But in May, a fire forced the Ovaltine to shut down. The point of fire was somewhere along here. Flames were contained to the restaurant washroom, but there was smoke and water damage. Vancouver police calling it a suspected arson. The restaurant is insured, but Grace Chen says she has not yet been paid out. So she spent $100,000 of her own money on repairs so the Ovaltine's regulars could return for the holidays. Christmas, that's a big holiday for us. So if, if Ovaltine closed, people know where to go. The community also pitched in with an online fundraiser that generated $20,000, a testament to the restaurant's reputation. Feeding the people is always important to, to this restaurant. Uh, yeah, we support her as well. Uh, she supports our community here in the, in the downtown inside. While the fire changed everything for the owners, nothing has changed inside. The original booths are still there, the neon signs still shining bright. The same retro look that's attracted movie and TV productions to the diner, including The X-Files. You see a flying saucer from another galaxy? When the first time I came here, it was back in 87, and I used to come here all the time. Has it changed at all since 87? No, no. It's just wonderful people. Still work on that. Chen hopes the Ovaltine lives on for many more generations. She's now focused on expanding the menu and the hours. We really want to be stronger, bigger, better. All while keeping those signature low prices. Travis Prasad, Global News. There is no limit to the creativity of smuggling contraband into prisons. We used to see it on a weekly basis. Uh, now we're seeing it on a daily basis. And their tactics are reaching new heights these days with advancements in drone technology. A special report on prisons under siege with everything from drugs to weapons being dropped over the fences. That's next on the News Hour. An authentic look at the art of forgery, a fascinating new exhibit of famous sketches that turned out to be fakes later. Plus, Wondered what kind of person could do this. An anonymous letter puts a damper on one woman's Christmas spirit until messages of support come flooding in. That's coming up as well. 
Right now, though, it started as a rare and remarkable event, the use of drones to deliver contraband into prisons. But drone incursions at federal institutions have become a daily occurrence, dropping drugs, phones and weapons for inmates. And as Darian Matassa Fung reports, prison guards are almost powerless to stop it. The amount of drugs I've never seen before. It's the new normal for correctional officers, keeping a sharp eye on the sky, watching for drones. It's growing like we used to see it on a weekly basis. Uh, now we're seeing it on a daily basis. Daily deliveries to eight BC medium and maximum federal institutions that house hundreds of inmates. So how does it work? A drone will be launched a short distance away, flies over the razor wire fences, it descends and drops drugs, weapons and cell phones right into the outstretched hands of inmates, sometimes through prison cell windows. My drone can literally fly up like almost like an Amazon delivery right within feet of the window. Drugs, weapons and cell phones are flooding into BC institutions, which means more violence, gang influence and overdoses. The union president says it's the worst it's been in his 14-year career. We're definitely seeing a rise in violence because of that. The market on the inside and, and, and selling and collecting debt. So definitely it's gone up uh, immensely, um, especially with the street gangs as well. It, it kind of follows the street a little bit. And with the violence you see on the street, it's multiplied inside the jail. Hundreds of cell phones are ending up in the hands of inmates, including some of the most dangerous gang members in the province. Randall believes the gang members' business dealings has not stopped within prison walls. I, I can't even describe how many more we're seeing. Like the danger of that is, is, is we have no control anymore. Like we're not able to get intelligence. We're not able to track who they're calling. They're able to possibly continue their criminal operations from inside, which is why we put them in the prison in the first place. So it's a huge cause of concern. Randall said correctional officers are doing their best, but they are understaffed and have no technology specifically to combat drones. As you can see behind me, like there's a ton of open area. And so we're, we're operating with the same staffing we've had for the last 15 years with this new uh, threat. Global News spoke with CSC's Director of Security Operations in Ottawa regarding these issues. We've seen a lot of successes across the country when it comes to uh, those more traditional methods of detection as well. Uh, some of the greatest successes that we've seen is by having staff be vigilant, uh, utilizing our intelligence program as well. The federal director of security operations said drone detection tech are at some federal facilities. However, they are not in B.C. at this time. The union says CSE is still considering its requests for more staff and drone fighting technology. Darian Matasafung, Global News. Just ahead, major pressure on pet charities and one that steps in to pay soaring vet bills is buckling under the demand. How you can help next. And a new study of how runoff from urban roads is ruining salmon habitat. Good evening and some good news over here at the Knight Street Bridge. Just recently cleared a crash southbound at the north end and traffic is starting to recover out of Vancouver. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $50 million plus an estimated two max millions. Lotto Max, stream to the max. I'm Trishy Wissin in Global One at the Knight Street Bridge. A UBC-led project could help protect the province's declining salmon population by identifying and mitigating toxic road runoff. As Paul Johnson shows us, researchers believe a chemical shed by car tires could be behind some recent salmon deaths. 
When dozens of coho salmon were found dead in West Van this fall, it was a reminder of the threat of a certain toxin in the environment that we've only just begun to grapple with. At very low concentrations, it actually causes coho mortality. 6-PPD is an important compound used in the making of car tires. It's been around for decades. But what we know now is that it builds up on roads and regularly gets washed into creeks and streams in levels that are bad for many fish, but frequently fatal for coho salmon. It's been a big issue that uh, salmon migrating upstream uh, that are exposed to this chemical die before they're able to spawn. We've been going out uh, essentially three times every rain event. Timothy Rogers has been collecting samples from a long list of waterways in the greater Vancouver area. He's been able to show that not only is 6-PPD contamination widespread, but that levels of it tend to spike after big rains. Everywhere the roads are interacting with watersheds is a place where there's at least some risk. The work they're doing puts UBC at the forefront of research into the problem. While various legal and regulatory things are happening in the U.S., those could take years. But Skulls has a cost-effective solution that's available right now, bioretention systems, also known as rain gardens. If it filters through soil, a lot of the chemical gets removed. Here's an example of a rain garden next to a street in Vancouver, which has several hundred of them. While there's likely no shortage of people who'd volunteer to build these, the trick is finding locations that can be effectively integrated into roadways and drainages. While the long-term solution is getting tire manufacturers to find a replacement for 6-PPD, in the meantime, rain gardens could help save a lot of salmon. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Here's another example of the hardships caused by inflation and the rising cost of living, this time on pet owners. An organization that helps people pay their vet bills says it now has to turn people away. Alyssa Tebow reports. So this is Nietzsche. She's about to turn four. She's like, we're best friends now. Yeah, I guess <laughs> She's friendly and chatty and is incredibly bonded to her owner. She's pretty much my life. Um, she's the only reason I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Nietzsche started as a foster pet, but her original owner couldn't take her back. Couldn't see our lives without her, so we ended up adopting her. But life with a pet isn't without hiccups. Last year, Nietzsche caught a stomach bug and needed emergency treatment. Being on disability, Alyssa Nelson called Pause for Help to assist with the vet costs. A bill that would have cost me like five to six hundred dollars only cost me a hundred. But the organization itself now needs help. 140 families are registered in the subsidized program which helps cover 80 percent of veterinary costs and they can't accept any more clients. We are super busy with requests for support. We average between 150 to 200 requests a month um, and over the year, these requests have doubled. The BCSPCA says there's been a 12% increase in animals surrendered to shelters from January to November of this year. Many owners who simply cannot afford to keep their pets. Increased cost of living is filtering down to impacting their pets. Vet care itself 
is also more expensive. The cost of all the like medications, supplies and tests, staffing, insurance, those are all going up too. Just like what we're seeing with the cost of everything. Pause for Hope works with clinics and hospitals to bring overall costs down. There are 23 partners across the province, but they're hoping for more to keep more pets at home and out of the shelters. You're saving a person's life, honestly, because without her, I don't know if I'd even be here. Information can be found on the Pause for Hope website. <laughs> Alyssa Tebow, Global News. Coming up, the link between menstruation and mental health. How a new study could help us better understand hormone changes. And a new program to stabilize the power grid using electric vehicles. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Steady traffic in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight, but there's still plenty of leftover volume on the east-west connector in both directions after clearing a car with a flat tire. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $50 million plus an estimated two max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. BC Hydro is launching a new first-of-its-kind electric vehicle pilot project for BC that could help in emergencies. The Crown Corporation has announced Canada's first vehicle-to-grid pilot project for medium and heavy-duty vehicles. It will allow electricity to be pushed back into the grid from the battery of an electric vehicle. The technology will be able to help in emergency responses by providing a cleaner alternative to diesel-powered backup generators. This is taking power right now from this bus into the grid. And it's, a, it's a, about a 200 kilowatt hour battery. That's a lot of power. And uh, this can help with grid resilience, emergencies, and when there's a swarm of electric medium heavy duty vehicles, it's a significant amount of power. The technology is being tested by other companies around the world. In Health Matters tonight, new research has identified a link between menstruation and suicidal thoughts, shining a light on the struggles some patients face. As health reporter Catherine Ward explains, the findings should help clinicians support patients at risk. This new report builds on well-established data that examines the link between how people are feeling and their menstrual cycle. Scientists know that how people feel changes throughout the month and that changes from person to person. This study focused in on people who were already experiencing suicidal thoughts, tracking their mental well-being day to day. 
Researchers ask people to respond daily to different statements like, I wish I could go to sleep and not wake up, or even if they thought about killing themselves that day. Researchers found certain feelings study participants reported were linked with higher rates of suicidal thoughts or ideation. They include depression, hopelessness, and perceived burdensomeness. These people have healthy menstrual cycles. There's no hormone imbalance. There's no hormone deficiency. But what we've learned over decades of research is that some individuals are neurobiologically sensitive to the normal fluctuations of hormones across the menstrual cycle. So meaning that their brain has a reaction to hormone change that other people's might not. Baroni said the point at which people are most vulnerable in their cycle varies, but the authors say they hope these findings will encourage healthcare providers to consider menstrual cycles a factor in suicide risk. They are quick to point out there is not a one-size-fits-all solution to this, but tracking how you are feeling can give more information to help predict when some people could be more vulnerable. And if you or anyone you know needs help, in Canada you can dial 988 to speak with someone at any time. Catherine Ward, Global News. Coming up, the joy of Christmas squashed by Scrooge. I opened this letter up and it just, it shocked me. How an anonymous letter threatened to spoil the season for this homeowner and how neighbors rallied to make spirits bright. Plus, later in sports, how North Vancouver's Sam Reinhardt has found happiness in the Florida sunshine on pace for a career year with the Panthers. A new exhibit at the Vancouver Art Gallery is doing something a little differently, highlighting how it was fooled by some clever fakes. The 10 oil sketches were donated to the Art Gallery nearly a decade ago and were purported to be by Group of Seven co-founder J.E.H. MacDonald. But a series of examinations by art and handwriting experts, along with tests of the paint itself, proved the works were not done by MacDonald. That process and its findings make up much of the focus of the new exhibit. I think more and more museums are, are starting to, you know, kind of trying to show, well, how does this happen? How, does, how, how do we make these decisions? How do we um, research them? And people, you know, I, I, I kind of call it the Antiques Roadshow Syndrome. Um, people have a lot of experience watching uh, somebody come in and hand something over to an expert and then the expert immediately starts saying that this is, you know, what it is and giving a whole history. And of course, we know in real life there's a lot of research that goes on in the background. The exhibit called A Tangled Garden opens to the public Saturday and runs until May. No picture or painting could do justice to the sunset out there again this evening and Christy's got the pictures to mm -hmm. prove it. It was amazing. Right at about 4.30, we just got flooded. Our weather window inbox got flooded with photos, Chris. So I couldn't help but share as many as I could because obviously our viewers were quite excited. We'll start off with this one from West Vancouver. And I know you miss the sunset, so these are for you as well. Uh, but Happy it was from all them. around the south coast. Yeah, just they are stunning. incredible. I mean, just the richness of the color and the depth of the oranges and purples. Yeah. It's amazing. 
Yeah, so that's the sunset, uh, the light from the sun um, as it's dropping over the horizon, reflecting off of the bottom of the clouds, creating this various colors. And it was everything from uh, purples to, to oranges to pinks to yellows, as you can see here, just stunning indeed. And I mean, I was with uh, some kids at one point uh, or so looking at the photos and um, they were amazed as well. And often kids don't really stop to look at the sunset. So that was really cool <laughs> To see. All right, so we have a snowfall warning in place for the north, central coast, coastal regions, as well as McGregor. We're talking about 15 to 20 centimeters of snow. Look at it just funneling into that region, and that will continue this evening and overnight, but it drops south quickly. We're expecting snow in the mountains in the Columbia Kootenai region. Watch for that for drivers, but lower down, it's snow changing over to, sh oh, sorry, excuse me, rainfall. Now, for uh, the south coast area, we just have a slight chance of showers. We are going to see that frontal band weaken as it makes its way in, but we will see cloud cover tomorrow. The bulk of the rainfall will be across northern and western Vancouver Island, but for our region, it really is just a slight chance of showers. Eight degrees should be our daytime high. Lots of sunshine, it looks like, on Sunday, Chris. Overall, the weekend is looking dry before rain shows back in, as you can see, early next week. Back to you. Oh, Looks I great. forgot our weather window. Pardon oh, yeah. me. It was just because there. And another shot of the sunset tonight from Maple Ridge. Chris, another back beautiful, to you. yeah, beautiful shot from Nicholas. And thanks to everybody who sent those in. Amazing. All right, a Vancouver Island woman is still shaken by someone's shocking lack of Christmas spirit after getting a terrible letter about her decorations. But as Kylie Stanton reports, the response to her social media post has restored her faith in the Christmas spirit saw this big bow and phoned my husband right away, told him I had to have it. It started out, well, not exactly small. Just bought lights. At that time, we bought 72 boxes. <laughs> that was 14 years ago now, and the display here at Cheryl Dince's Souk home has only grown exponentially ever since. This year, the Christmas tree is new. I keep going. But a certain Scrooge has other ideas. Yeah, it's a bit of a shock to get. Earlier this week, Dince received this letter in the mail. Disappointing. Not your average Christmas card. It says, why don't you give our neighborhood a break? Haven't you ever heard that less is more? It shocked me, put a little bit of scare into me. Um, Wondered what kind of person could do this. With every line, the message becomes even more concerning. Your house is the joke of the neighborhood. Followed by a couple of other things we won't be repeating here. I was kind of angry, uh, phoned a few friends about it. Then, Dince decided to post it to Facebook, and the community was quick to put the sender on the naughty list. One person posting the rest of the neighbors should pitch in and add more to the display. Yeah, I was shocked a little bit to, uh, to hear about some Grinch talking like that about a nice house with all the decoration. If only the letter writer knew why Dince is doing this. Yeah, my son passed away in September and uh, I'm finding it very therapeutic to be out here and decorate, it's really taking my mind off sad things. Tony Plant died of a heart attack at just 42 years old. But a mother's darkest days are now a little brighter. They're really big. Yeah. And it's going to take more than a few words to dim this spirit. I almost had thought to myself, how many more years am I going to be able to do this? I'm not a spring chicken anymore. And uh, 
And then after this letter, I thought, well, I guess I'll just keep going. Kylie Stanton, Global News. That's a good-looking display. Beautiful, tasteful. That, that person better remain anonymous, so they're going to have a lot of enemies. <laughs> All right, Squire's here with sports. All right, so Thatcher Demko got to play a big part in Roberto Luongo night. I was just going with the flow, you know, whatever they needed to, to make Luongo's night work. Yeah, who knew Demko was a face-off man as well? He took part in the extremely rare all goaltender ceremonial face-off. I thought that was a great touch. Also coming up tonight, satellite debris. I'm not Santa. Okay, Greg. All right, uh, some moves, a bit of a shell game. In well, the Canucks, I mean, one thing about Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin, they like to make trades. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a minor league trade, which is what they made today, uh, Jack Studnika obviously wasn't enough of a stud for the Canucks, so this afternoon he was moved to San Jose for defenseman Nick Chichek and a sixth-round draft choice in 2024. Now, Studnika had recently been playing with the Abbotsford Canucks. He was acquired by Vancouver last October from Boston, but just didn't give the Canucks enough, and they have much better bottom six forwards now than when he was first brought in. As for the new defenseman... Nick Chichek, he's only played 16 NHL games. More of a physical defenseman than anything else. Should help toughen up the Abbotsford Blue Line this year. He's played the entire time in the American League with the Sharks minor league team. He's a graduate of the uh, Portland Winterhawks. So last night, everything went great. Luongo got put in the ring of honor, and then the Canucks shut out his team 4-0. Dakota Joshua got a couple of goals, including this weird one. Luongo should have strapped on the pads because he would have been better than Sergei Bobrovsky. He wouldn't have done that. I can guarantee you Luongo would not have done that. Two goals for Joshua, and Demko made 36 saves for his third shutout this year. The Canucks have won four in a row tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. They're in Minnesota. They have a four-game road trip just before the Christmas break. Now, it wasn't just a memorable night for Roberto Luongo, but also Thatcher Demko, and not just because he got the shutout, but... Also because he got to be part of an all-goalie ceremonial face-off with the aforementioned Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, we were having a few laughs in the room before the, uh, the game. I don't know if I've ever seen that before, but obviously when they asked me if I wanted to do it, I, I was just going with the flow, you know, whatever they needed to, to make Longo's night work. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool. That was a great night all around. Now, because the Panthers were shut out, Sam Reinhardt's family did not get to see him score any goals against Vancouver, but he has been scoring a lot this year. In fact, the former second overall draft pick back in 2014 from West Vancouver, the son of former Canuck defenseman and Calgary defenseman Paul Reinhardt, has been one of Florida's most dangerous players. Evan Rodriguez, wrist shot to Smith the save, loose puck, score, Reinhardt! Apparently, Sam Reinhart prefers sunshine over snowstorms. After six seasons in Buffalo, he shuffled off to Florida, where all he's done is post back-to-back 30-goal seasons for the first time in his NHL career. And he helped lead the Panthers to the Stanley Cup final last season. He never came close to a playoff game in Buffalo. Getting traded to the Panthers was clearly an excellent career move. I'm a lot different player now than, than, than I was then, you know, a couple years older, a um, couple years more experience, um, you know, found some, some really good chemistry with guys here, so 
um, really like our style and style of play and, and, and the game plan we're trying to execute and um, been benefiting from it. Reinhardt has developed an amazing chemistry with captain Alex Barkov. Both have the high hockey IQ to go along with tremendous skills. But Reinhardt could probably play with anyone. He's that valuable to the Panthers. You can put him in any, any situations, uh, PK, power play, five on five, uh, end of game. So uh, I think uh, have a guy like that on your team uh, helps a lot. And uh, I mean, I knew that he was a good player, but he has been around uh, a guy like that every single day. You just see how hard he works every, every practice and, and he gets better every day. Reinhardt is on pace for his best offensive season ever, 49 goals and 109 points, which would smash his previous best of 82 points. Reinhardt is an understated star, a guy who thinks the game as good as anyone, and it reminds his coach of a Hall of Famer with a similar approach. He's as close to, to Ron Francis mentally as I've coached. So Ron Francis was the smartest player I've ever coached. And when I need to know what's going on on the ice or something's going on with our game, I, have to, I go talk to Sam because he has a, and he can articulate what happens. A very, very bright hockey player. Those players, you, you don't notice as much, right? They don't have the McDavid speed or they don't, they, they, they're not big hitters. But the people that love the game and you, you follow, let your eyes follow him around the ice and, and watch how efficient and hardworking he is. He's just a really smart, smart pro. Incredible play, Sam Reinhardt. Former Canucks coach Bruce Boudreaux will be the head coach for Canada's team at the Spengler Cup, which begins on Boxing Day in Switzerland. Four European club teams and the Canadian team, which is made up of Canadians who play in European leagues. Last year, another fired Canucks coach, Travis Green, was Canada's head coach, and they didn't win a game. Hopefully, uh, Bruce will have a better time coaching Canada because we usually do well at this event, unlike last year. Bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Well, All right. But to some, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's no, just they did for whatever reason Canada couldn't score last year, and I don't think that's Travis Green's fault. No. Anyway, there you go. All right, we'll take a break and be back with satellite debris next. starting to pile up there might be more of it soon all right before we get there though for last word on weather let's talk satellite debris okay so there's a lot of things about social media i don't understand one of them is when folks take photos of their food i don't quite get that but whatever the case can you imagine if we had been doing this all the long even before there was social media that is the subject of this commercial from ikea <laughs>
figure it out I don't no hearts quite get it no heart where's that big Ikea 10 pound meatball they're talking oh, about have yeah. you seen it I didn't make this yeah. one for yeah, I didn't make this one okay so Ryan Reynolds among the many things he promotes or owns mint mobile hey Ryan Reynolds here with a new mint customer who says his name is Greg that's because my name is Greg well Greg why'd you sign up for mint well, the buy three months, get three months free is a pretty great deal. Yeah, it is, yeah. And the service gets great reviews. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it works in the North Pole, though. I'm not Santa. Okay, Greg. Where'd you park the reindeer? I took a bus. Guess Santa has to say that, huh? I like that one. <laughs> Greg's not happy. <laughs> okay, no. I'll tell you something that is happy, is this dog, we've shown this a few times before, I love this one. This dog, whose owner is playing a guitar, maybe it's a Bud Light commercial, because there is a Bud Light in there, but anyway, mm -hmm. watch the dog's reaction when the guitar is on, or he's playing it, and when he stops. There we Dog, that dog loves music. When you stop playing, yeah. his smile goes away. That was classic. Was he was even kind of bobbing to the beat a little he bit had there, some wasn't moves. he? He had some moves. Mm -hmm. All right, last word on uh, weather before we go here, Christy. So cloud cover tomorrow, maybe a slight chance of showers, but overall dry, not a bad weekend in store for us, that's for sure. All right, looks good. I hope you all enjoy it. Thanks very much for watching, and we'll see you again on Monday.